the famous five. Five on Kirin Island again. Dedicated to Zora and Jazz. Apologies in advance for misreading, repeating myself, and losing the place. Chapter 9. George makes a discovery and loses her temper. George slipped down from the rock. She peered under it. There was a large opening there, scattered with stones that Timmy had loosened in his digging. Surely you haven't at last found a rabbit hole big enough to go down, said George. Timmy, where are you? Not a bark, not a whine came from the hole. George wriggled under the shelf of rock and peered down the burrow. Timmy had certainly made it very big. George called up to Julian. Julian, throw me down your trowel, will you? A trowel landed by her foot. George took it and began to make the hole bigger. It might be big enough for Timmy, but it wasn't big enough for her. She dug hard and soon got very hot. She crawled out and looked over to the rock to see if she could get one of the others to help her. But they were all asleep. Lazy things, thought George, quite forgetting that she too would have been dozing if she hadn't wondered where Timmy had gone. She slipped down under the rock again and began to dig hard with her trowel. Soon she had made the hole big enough to get through. She was surprised to find quite a large passage once she had made the entrance big enough to take her. She could crawl along on hands and knees. I say, I wonder if this is just some animal's runway, or if this leads somewhere, thought George. Timmy, where are you? From somewhere deep in the quarry side there came a faint whine. George felt thankful. So Timmy was there, after all. She crawled along, and then quite suddenly the tunnel became high and wide, and she realized that she must be in a passage. It was perfectly dark, so she could not see anything. She could only feel. Then she heard the sound of pattering feet, and Timmy pressed affectionately against her legs, whining. Oh, Timmy, you give me a bit of a fright, said George. Where have you been? Is this a real passage, or just a tunnel in the quarry, made by the old miners, now just used by animals? Hmm. Woof, said Timmy, and pulled at George's jeans to make her go back to the daylight. All right, I'm coming, said George. Don't imagine I want to wander alone in the dark. I only came to look for you. She made her way back to the shelf of rock. By this time Dick was awake and wondered where George had gone. He waited a few minutes, blinking up into the deep blue sky, and then sat up. George! There was no answer. So, in his turn, Dick slipped down from the rock and looked around. And to his very great astonishment, he saw first Timmy, and then George on hands and knees, appearing out of a hole under the rock. He stared open-mouthed, and George began to giggle. It's all right. I've only been rabbiting with Timmy. 
She stood beside him, shaking and brushing soil from her jersey and trousers. There's a passage behind the entrance to the hole under the rock, she said. At first, it's just a narrow tunnel, like an animal's hole. Then it gets wider, and it becomes a proper high wide passage. I couldn't see if it went on, of course, because it was dark. Timmy was a long way in. Good gracious, said Dick, it sounds exciting. Let's explore it, shall we, said George. I expect Julian's got a torch. No, said Dick, we won't explore today. The others were now awake and listening with interest. Is it a secret passage, said Anne, thrilled. Oh, do let's explore it. No, not today, said Dick again. He looked at Julian. Julian guessed that Dick did not want Martin to share the secret. Why should he? He was not a real friend of theirs, and they'd only just got to know him. He nodded back to Dick. No, we won't explore today. Anyway, it may be nothing, just an old tunnel made by the quarrymen. Martin was listening with great interest. He went and looked into the hall. I wish we could explore, he said. Maybe we could plan to meet again with torches and see if there really is a passage there. Julian looked at his watch. Nearly two o'clock. Well, Martin, if we're going to see that half-past-two program of yours, we'd better be getting on. The girls began to climb up the steep side of the quarry. Julian took Anne's basket from her, afraid she might slip and fall. Soon they were all at the top. The air felt quite cool there after the warmth of the quarry. They made their way to the cliff path, and before long they were passing the Coast Guard's cottage. He was out in his garden, and he waved to them. They went in the gateway of the next-door cottage. Martin pushed the door open. His father was sitting at the window of the room inside, reading. He got up with a broad, welcoming smile. Well, 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 this is nice. Come along in. Do, yes, the dog as well. I don't mind dogs a bit. I quite like them. It seemed rather a crowd in a small room. They all shook hands politely. Martin explained hurriedly that he had brought the children to see a television program. Good idea, said Mr. Curtin, still beaming, and stared at his great eyebrows. They were very long and thick. She wondered why he didn't have them trimmed, but perhaps he liked them like that. They made him look very fierce, she thought. The four looked around the little room. There was a television set standing at the far end on a table. There was also a magnificent radio, and something else that made the boys stare with interest. Hello, you've got a transmitting set as well as a receiving set, said Julian. Yes, said Mr. Curtin. It's a hobby of mine. I made that set. Well, you must be brainy, said Dick. What's a transmitting set, asked Anne. I haven't heard of one before. Oh, it just means a set to send out messages by radio, like police cars have when they send messages to the police station, said Dick. This is a very powerful one, though. Martin was fiddling about with the television switches. Then the program began. It was great fun seeing the television program. When it was over, Mr. Curtin asked them to stay for tea. Now, 
Don't say no, he said. I'll ring up and ask your aunt if you like, if you're afraid she might be worried. Well, if you do that, sir, said Julian, I think she would wonder where we'd gone. Mr. Curtin rang up Aunt Fanny. Yes, it was quite all right for them to stay, but they mustn't be too late back. So they settled down to an unexpectedly good tea. Martin was not very talkative, but Mr. Curtin made up for it. He laughed and joked and was altogether very good company. The talk came round to Kieran Island. Mr. Curtin said, How beautiful they looked each evening. George looked pleased. Yes, she said, I always think that. I do wish Father hadn't chosen this particular time to work on my island. I'd planned to go and stay there. I suppose you know every inch of it, said Mr. Curtin. Oh, yes, said George, we all do. There are dungeons there, you know, real dungeons that go deep down. Where we once found gold ingots. Yes, I remember reading about that, said Mr. Curtin. That must have been exciting. Fancy finding the dungeons, too. And there's an old well, too, you once got down, isn't there? Oh, yes, said Anne, remembering. And there's a cave where we once lived. It's got an entrance through the roof as well as from the sea. And I suppose your father is conducting his marvellous experiments down in the dungeons, said Mr. Curtin. Well, what a strange place to work in. No, we don't, began George. But she got a kick on the ankle from Dick. She screwed up her face in pain. It had been a very sharp kick indeed. What were you going to say? said Mr. Curtin, looking surprised. Er, I was just going to say that we don't know which place Father has chosen, said George, keeping her legs well out of the way of Dick's feet. Timmy gave a sudden sharp whine. George looked down at him in surprise. He was looking at Dick with a very hurt expression. What's the matter to me? said George anxiously. He's finding the room too hot, I think, said Dick. Better take him out, George. George, feeling quite anxious, took him out. Dick joined her. She scowled at him. What did you want to kick me like that for? I shall have a frightful bruise. You know jolly well why I did, said Dick, giving away everything like that. Can't you see the chap's very interested in your father being on the island? There may be nothing in it at all, but you might at least keep your mouth shut, just like a girl. Can't help blabbing. I had to stop you somehow. I don't mind telling you I trod jolly hard on poor old Timmy's tail, too, to make him yelp so that you'd stop talking. Oh, you beast, said George indignantly. How could you hurt Timmy? I didn't want to. It was a shame, said Dick, stopping to fondle Timmy's ears. Poor old Tim. I didn't want to hurt you, old fellow. I'm going home, said George, her face scarlet with anger. I hate you for talking to me like that, telling me I blab like a girl, and stamping on poor Timmy's tail. You can go back and say I'm taking Timmy home. Right, said Dick, and a jolly good thing too. The less you talk to Mr. Curtin, the better. I'm going back to find out exactly what he is and what he does. I'm getting jolly suspicious. And you'd better go before you give anything else away. Almost choking with rage, George went off with Timmy. Dick went back to make her apologies. Julian and Anne, sure that something was up, felt most uncomfortable. 
They rose to go, but to their surprise, Dick became very talkative and appeared to be suddenly very much interested in Mr. Curtin and what he did. But at last they said goodbye and went. Come again, do, said Mr. Curtin, beaming at the three of them. And tell the other boy, what's his name, George, that I hope his dog is quite all right now. Such a nice, well-behaved dog. Well, goodbye. See you again soon, I hope. The end of chapter 9.